Our scripture today comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 25 through chapter 5, verse 2. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 25 through chapter 5, verse 2. So then, putting away falsehood, let, us, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands, so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to each other and to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you were marked, with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, together with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The word of God for us this morning. Thanks be to God. You know, Paul would be rich if he had marketed the idea that he put in this letter of anger management. Because that's everywhere nowadays, right? Anger management classes, anger management seminars, you know, how to deal with your road rage, uh, how to deal with your frustrations. You know, anger is a part of our lives. And one of the things that I love about Paul is that he believed that we had to have a sound theology about how to deal with anger, a God-centered theology of how to deal with anger. He, you know, Paul believed that we needed to study and to understand more about God and to think about what it is that God is calling us to do. But he also wanted us to understand God's design for our lives. How are we as Christians who are seeking to draw closer to God, live our lives given the fact that we experience things like anger? in our lives. You know, I appreciate that Paul does not say Christians don't get angry. I appreciate that. Because there are some out there that would say that if you're a Christian, you should never get angry. You should never experience certain feelings or emotions. And that would be to deny our humanity, to deny the fact that we are in these vessels that experience these things and that go through certain things that might not be good. Paul knew that the people in the church needed to get a handle on how to deal with anger, to really be able to manage it, to understand it, and to understand what their response to it should be. When you read Paul's letters, there are some letters in which you come to parts that you go, okay, he was really just writing this for this particular church at this particular time, because of a situation they're going through. 
But there are so many things in Paul's letters that you come to and go, yeah, they were going through that then, and we are going through that now. This kind of advice, this kind of insight that Paul is giving us is timeless. It doesn't matter whether you lived in the first century or the 21st century. We know anger is a part of our lives. So what is Paul's advice? What does he say to us as we are trying to figure out how to live as God's children, given the fact that we are going to experience anger? Well, before we get to anger, he wants to begin by establishing some ground rules. He says, put away all falsehood. Speak only in truth to your neighbors. Because the first rule to be able to deal with anger is to be able to be truthful with each other. To be able to speak the truth in love. To be able to call things what they are. And to be able to see the reality that we're living. Paul was not seeking to deny the reality of suffering or injustice or other things in our lives that would cause anger. He wanted us to understand that the God we serve is the God of truth. But he is also a God who was the genuine thing, the genuine article, in the sense that when he said something, he meant it, and he showed it, and he proved it. So he says, our God is the God of truth. In him, you know, there's no change. There's no variation. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He is a steady constant in a world that is always changing. This is why Jesus called himself, uh, himself the way, the truth, and the life. And a lot of times we talk a lot about Jesus being the way. We talk a lot about Jesus being the life. But we don't talk enough about Jesus being the truth. The truth is a big part of who Jesus is. The truth. Jesus came to reveal the truth of just how much God really loves us. That God wasn't just willing to say he loved us over and over again. He was willing to put action behind his words. He was willing to become one of us in Jesus Christ. He was willing even to die for us on a cross. So he says he is the God of truth, the God that really wants to show you what love looks like. And that's why Jesus came into the world. He came to reveal that great love of God and to save us. When we serve a God of truth, then it follows that we must be people of truth that we must be honest about ourselves and what is going on in our lives, and that we must be honest with our neighbors as we try to share with them the truth of the gospel. Your neighbor does not want to see you pretend like you've got everything figured out all by yourself. They want to know that you also get angry, that you also experience difficulties, that you also go through struggles, but they also want to know what difference Christ has made in every one of those situations. You see, they want to see in you what difference it makes to have Jesus as part of the equation. So Paul's advice here that follows about anger is really important. 
But it, I think it's one of the hardest ones to follow because we all get angry, right? He says, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not make room for the devil. Now, let's face it. It's extremely easy to get angry. Anybody have any trouble getting angry? <laughs> it's kind of easy to get angry, right? It's easy to find reasons to get angry. There's enough injustice in the world. There's enough situations that we go through. There's enough illness and death and tragedy for us to get angry at what's going on. It would be easy for us to get angry at this Delta variant that has made it so difficult for us to go on and to resume life. There are so many reasons that we could get angry with others around us because they've done things that we don't like. So the reality is getting angry is pretty easy. The question is, what are you going to do once you get angry? Once that happens, given that we know we are going to experience anger because of certain things that we're going to face, what are we going to do about it? Because the reality is if you don't deal with your anger, it'll steal your peace. It'll steal your joy. It'll steal your days and your time. It'll consume your thought. And it'll affect your relationship with God and your neighbor. Paul was saying, you're going to get angry, but do not let your anger lead to sin. Do not let your anger lead to sin. Paul was revealing to us something that's very important, which is that anger begins in the heart and the mind. But it can easily turn into evil actions when we let that anger fester. When I was getting married with Elnette, um, my dad did our premarital counseling, which was really weird. But one of the things that I'll never forget about our premarital counseling was that my dad told us, if you guys have an argument and get angry at each other, do not go to bed angry. Find a way to talk to each other, even if you have to wait till late in the night. Find a way to work it out. Find a way to find some resolution to that anger and to deal with it. But do not go to bed angry, because if you do, breakfast is going to be terrible. You're going to wake up, and that anger that you let fester overnight in your thoughts and in your body and in yourself will have grown. And by tomorrow, your spouse is the enemy. And by tomorrow, your ill feelings about whatever happened have grown exponentially, and you might not even remember what started the whole thing. But you will have let that anger grow and begin to become sin because you're already thinking how you're going to get back at your spouse for what they did yesterday. So I'm talking from experience now. You all, some of you can relate. Some of you are pretending like you've never had this happen to you. But the reality is that if we don't deal with anger, 
It is going to grow inside of us. And Paul basically says, don't let it, don't let it linger inside of you. When you notice that you have anger, you have a decision to make. How am I going to manage this anger? How am I going to deal with this anger? What am I going to do about it? Because the reality is you are going to get angry. I have news for you. If you haven't gotten angry this week, it will happen. It will happen. Don't let your anger turn into sin. Paul was recognizing that what begins in the heart and the mind can easily become action and can easily promote even worse thoughts and feelings towards others. What simply began as a feeling or an emotion or just a passing thought can lead us to wish harm on others or evil on others. And if we listen to that anger, Paul says, you are opening a door for the enemy to come in. You're making room for the enemy to come in through that door and begin to plant even more negative thoughts and feelings in your heart and in your mind. And we all know that sin is a slippery slope, isn't it? The enemy says, oh, we'll just get even and call it a day. And so you go ahead and get even. And the next thing you know is that he gives you another reason to get even with someone else. And he says, you remember how you got even with that one? This one still do. This one still did something to you. And the enemy begins to remind you of all the hurts and all the pains and all the things that bring you anger and bring you disappointment. And through those things, he continues to open the door into your heart and into your soul. And what used to be just a passing momentary feeling or thought becomes full-fledged anger management material. And then we really need Jesus, don't we? But it's hard. It's hard not to get angry, not to want to lash out, not to feel justified in our anger. You know, when a driver cuts you off, it's just so hard not to just Lean into that horn with every ounce of strength you have like it's going to sound louder if you just hit it hard enough, right? In Puerto Rico, they use it as a communication tool. You just don't just beep. You beep, 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 to make sure they get the message that they messed up. Yesterday, a driver almost hit me Literally, like one of those that speeds up, there's no room, and they just cut right in front of you. And if it wasn't because my wife saw him out of the corner of her eye, we would have been hit. I got to tell you, I was angry, and I hit my horn in displeasure. And then God reminded me of what I was preaching today, and I felt about that big. I wish I could tell you this never happens to me, but it'd be a lie, and we just established that God is a God of truth, so I got to tell you the truth. We all struggle with anger. We live with anger, and we have to learn to respond to anger in appropriate ways as children of God. 
Because if anger leads us to actions that don't conform with God's will, then it'll lead us to sin. And you know, when somebody does something like that to you, you just, you want them, you start looking for that cop that never is there when you want one to give them a ticket or something. And then you're reminded, if it was me, I wouldn't want a ticket. If it was me, I wouldn't want somebody to wish that I would crash down the road. If it was me, I wouldn't want somebody to wish me ill because of what I've done. Paul's point is actually pretty straightforward. When we come to Jesus, we cannot be like the people of the world. We can't continue to be like we used to be. We have to begin to change and be different. And the example he gives is pretty straightforward. If you were a thief, you got to stop stealing. Because stealing is what defined you as a thief. If you don't steal, you can't be a thief. Our sin cannot define us. The grace of Jesus Christ in our lives has to define us. And so Paul was saying, when you come to Jesus Christ, you got to give up stealing. And he would add a whole list of things that we have to give up, lying, cheating, gossiping, everything that has to do with the things of the enemy. They have to be given up because otherwise our sin begins to define us. And then people see that and say, and, oh, and they're a Christian. Never heard that before, have you? And they're a Christian. What they're saying is that your testimony is not living up to the expectation of what a child of God should be. He says the thief better get to doing some honest work to earn a living. Got to give up stealing and cheating to make a buck. But more than that, he says, they have to do it so that they can provide for the needy. So he even gives a different spin on the purpose of work. You know, when we think of work, we think, oh, I'm going to work so I can have everything I want for my family, a good vacation, a good retirement. But he says, work so that you have something to share with those in need. Even the purpose of our work is redefined in Christ because we no longer live for ourselves. Now we're living for Jesus who died on the cross for all those people that cut you off and for every person that's ever hurt you or caused you trouble. But it's not just action that must change. We have to change from the inside out. Because as we saw in the illustration of the children, you know, to the outward appearance, you might look nice and solid, you know. But if you're hollow inside, it won't do you any good. There will still be room for the enemy to come in and take hold of that. Paul was saying, don't speak evil. Don't let anything evil come out of your mouth. He was saying that because he knew that out of the abundance of the heart speaks the mouth. He was saying that because he knew if inside you were not right with God, then that would manifest itself in what you said to others. So he said, don't let anything evil come out of your mouth. Instead, use your voice to what? To build up. 
to give grace, to help others hear a word about the love of God that has been shown to us in Jesus Christ. Oh, but it's so hard to have grace when somebody cuts you off. It's so hard when they almost hit you. It's so hard to let our words be grace-filled instead of wishing somebody ill because anger can get the best of us at times. You know, when something like that happens, we want heavenly fire to come down and crispy critter them. That's what we want. We want divine justice. Yet when we mess up, what do we want? Lord, we want grace. We want forgiveness. We want mercy. We want that first, second, third, fourth, fifth, seventh chance times seven. When it's us, we want all of the mercy that God has to offer in Christ. But when it's somebody else, let them have it, Lord. Just let them have it. They deserve it. They've been bad. Paul warns us not to grieve the Holy Spirit that is in us by doing that. He says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit that is in you. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we treat others out of anger and not out of love. When we tear them down with our words. When we commit character assassination behind their backs. When we do things that don't show that we are truly children of God. You know, speaking badly of others is not a spiritual gift. It really isn't. But some people treat it as such. You know, if I can just tear them down with my words, I won't have to hurt them physically. Now, you're still doing it wrong. Gossip is not a virtue no matter how we try to dress it up. We're told to put away all bitterness, all wrath, all slander together with malice. By the way, malice is when you wish them harm or wish them bad things. Or you start going, Lord, why can't they just, you know, get stopped up ahead and get a big ticket? You know, those are, that's malice. He says, no, don't do these things. Don't engage in these things. These are not things of children of God. He says, instead, I want you to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. You know, there's a reason we pray Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. God makes us pray that prayer and the Lord's prayer because he wants us to understand that we need to be as forgiving with others as we want him to be with us. As loving with others as we want him to be with us. So every time we're going to do something to somebody else, we need to ask ourselves, is this what I want God to do to me? If it's not, I got to change it. <laughs> I got to change it. Do unto others as you would want done unto you. We've heard that saying all along, right? Jesus put it, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Don't do to them what you wouldn't want done to you. But you know, doing these things is counterintuitive. What comes naturally to us is vengeance. Retribution, getting even, righteous indignation that makes us feel justified in doing what is evil. 
All those things come in as the enemy tries to get a foothold into our lives and tries to direct us in the ways that would take us away from what we are called to be as children of God. And you know, we feel justified in our anger because people have wronged us. They have done evil things. But just because they have done evil things or they have treated us unfairly, does not give us a right to return in kind. What Paul is saying here is we need to be different than those in the world. And the difference needs to show in our actions. In his advice here, he says that we need to be kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving as Christ forgave us. Now, we always pay attention to the be kind. That's popular, right? People have it on bumper stickers, and, you know, it's popular. It's, it's, it's hip right now to be kind. And the last one, forgiving, we, we're very familiar with the forgiving, you know, because we talk about forgiveness all the time. But I think sometimes we skip the middle term that is so important. We need to be tender-hearted as God is tender-hearted for his people. You know, the opposite of tender-hearted is to have hearts of stone. Hearts that don't care, hearts that don't feel, hearts that don't sympathize or empathize with others, hearts that don't, don't wish anybody well. But to have tender hearts, to ask God to give us his heart to be our heart, is to really care for the neighbor as we care for ourselves. Hearts that really try to feel what they're going through and to understand their pain. As children of God, we are called to care for others, even if we don't like them. To care for the neighbor that is nice to us and to care for the neighbor that is a pain all the time. To care for the neighbor that, that always gives us trouble and to care for the neighbor that we never have any issues with. To care for the neighbor that we really like because they agree with us in everything and they're just like us. And the neighbor that completely lives differently than us and is completely different in our views. But we can't do that if our hearts are hardened. We can't do that if we stay angry at our neighbor Hence the call for tenderness of heart. Paul reminds us that our forgiveness, our tenderheartedness, and even the grace that we show to each other really comes from God in Jesus Christ. It's not our own. You know, if he told us just to love with our own love, we'd say, hey, I gave him my best shot, and I'm done. I gave him three chances. I got a rule, three chances and you're out. That's my way. No, he says, love, forgive, show tenderheartedness as Christ has shown you in your own life. As beloved children of God, we are to live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice for us to God. You know, living in love is so much better than living in anger. 
I had to go home yesterday after that wonderful drive, have some me time with Jesus, and find that peace that had been stolen from me by the enemy in that drive. It took some time and some alone, close relationship with God to forgive that driver for almost running into us. Because let's face it, I was justifiably angry. They could have killed us. But in my alone time with God, I was reminded that if we die, we die with Christ. And if we live, we live for him. And that nothing that anyone can do in this life can separate me from the great love that I have in Christ Jesus. That living in love is so much better than living in anger. We are those who have given up our sinful ways to love God and love our neighbors as we build the kingdom of God. And Paul says at the end of this, we are to be imitators of God in word, action, and thought. We are to be imitators of Christ Jesus, who was God in the flesh, so that we can truly live in the love of God that we are supposed to experience every single day. What we are not is pretenders. We're not here to pretend. We're here to imitate the love of God, the forgiveness of God, and the grace of God for each other. I pray that God continues to help us with our anger management. I know I keep asking him every day for help. But I pray that as we seek that help and we begin to understand how anger can lead to sinning, we will seek to live in love and in peace and in grace so that we can truly be children of God every day. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you because you do know that we get angry and that we go through things in our lives that are going to make us angry. Help us, O oh Lord, to experience your, your love, your tenderheartedness for your people. Help remind us, O oh Lord, that those are people that you died for on the cross. Those are people that you want to redeem. That those are children that you want to call into the family. We ask, O oh Lord, that you will give us grace and forgiveness for others. And that, O oh Lord, as we go through our days, when we see something that brings anger into our hearts, you will help us to deal with it in the appropriate way. Thank you for your grace and thank you for your love. And thank you, O oh Lord, because, because, because of your forgiveness, Lord, we are able to forgive and show grace to others. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. We won't have altar time today, but I invite you to just Silently pray as we worship in this last song.